Father God, as we come to your holy word this morning, we thank you for what the Holy Scripture says about your word. That if, it, if your law were not my delight, I would have perished in my affliction. Father, we thank you that your word gives us strength and hope, even in the midst when we feel afflicted, even when we are afflicted. So Father, as your children come, torn and tattered by the sins of this world to your holy feet right now and sit at your feet to learn from you. Father, may we find healing in your word. As you speak to us, heal our hearts. Give us strength to know that your law, that your word is our delight, that we will not succumb to our afflictions because you are our delight. So, Father, we want to come to you this morning as we looked into your word, that your word will be our delight, that we will find Jesus, the joy, even in the midst of our sufferings. Lord, at times we do not know what to do, but Lord, you know. And so, Father, we want to thank you that you know the way in front of us. And so, Father, we humbly come to your presence Humble ourselves before you and seek you, Lord God, to direct us by your word again. In Jesus' name, Amen. Some time ago, we went to China for a vacation. Our tour guide wanted us to taste the local snacks and the cuisine, so he brought us to what is called a food city. He told us the, the time and place that he will pick us up, and he just left us there. He wanted us to... Uh, indulge in the food city, to walk along the streets and stuff our faces with food. It was literally a food city where he brought us to. There was just rows and rows of food vendors. There was street after street of all kinds of cuisines that you, you can find. There were unusual kinds of cuisine from fried cockroaches to vendors who will sell pig's brains in soup or chicken feed that is uh, crisply fried. And most of all, uh, these uh, vendors will cook the food in front of you. So you get to see how the, cook, the food is being displayed and cooked right in front of you. It was just a paradise, not only for the taste buds, but for our eyes too. You see all the colors and all the flavors and the varieties of food right in front of us. Before our tour guide left us there for a couple of hours to stuff our faces with food, he told us and recommended that we should try the Chinese hamburger. It's not the same as any Western hamburger that you've ever tasted. So that was uh, something on, our, on the top of our list that we wanted to try. We, well, we were shopping around looking at the different stores selling these to die for Chinese hamburgers. We saw one store that looks to be the best. You know why it's the best? It's a longer queue. So we join in and uh, join in the queue to purchase our Chinese hamburgers. When it came to our turn, we ordered out burgers and naturally we opened our wallets to take up some cash to pay for the Chinese hamburgers. But the vendor was extremely surprised to see cash. He was shocked. He thought that we were people from Mars. He kept saying he did not accept cash. So how do you pay? We asked in bewilderment. He said, by phone, by WeChat. 
WeChat is a phone app. And we told him that we couldn't pay him by WeChat simply because we were not local Chinese that have access to a local bank in China. He looked at us as if we were hillbillies from the Victorian era. And then he snappily said to us, no app, no food. And he went on to serve other people behind us. We were as bewildered as the vendor. We never met a merchant, a food merchant, who didn't want cash. Later we found out from some of the locals, in order to purchase food in this food city, and if you do not have a WeChat app, what you can do is that you can pay by asking one of the locals to pay for you first with their phones and then pay them back by cash. Or you can buy an electric card that can pay for your food. But what's interesting is this, is what the food vendor said to us. No app, no food. It's very interesting that we lived in a world whereby everything or almost everything these days is controlled or revolved around the mobile or the cell phone. We live in a culture that's more and more dependent on apps, social media, and internet. Just as the street vendor said, no app, no food. Did you know that 52% of millennials, that is people uh, in their 20s, have never written a check? Did you know that 25% of them have never posted a snail mail? We live in, in an era whereby we are living in an era that has a different form of communication than the people before us. This is why I love the book of Ezra. We're beginning a new series as of today on the book of Ezra, the Old Testament book of Ezra. What I loved about Ezra is that as we step into the world of Ezra, we enter into a new era in the Old Testament history. A new era, just like our era, whereby there is a new form of communication that's just being introduced in the book of Ezra. And what is this new form of, of communication that's just been sweeping across the time of Ezra? It's a new form of communication called letter writing. This doesn't mean that letter writing was invented in the time of Ezra. Don't get me wrong. As early as King David's time, for instance, we are already told that David wrote a letter uh, to Joab to bump off Uriah, remember? When he committed, when David committed adultery with Uriah's wife. So he wrote a letter to Joab to bump him, to bump off uh, uh, Uriah in the battlefront. Letters have been invented way before the time of Ezra. Just like phones have been invented way before our modern era of cell phones. But letters take on a new significance and a new importance in the time of Ezra. Just like phones, mobile phones or cell phones take on a new importance in our time. Letter writing becomes very important and plays a major role in the time of Ezra. In fact, the whole book of Ezra, which I'll say more in the subsequent weeks to come, the book of Ezra is divided into seven, or structured under seven letters. And these are seven letters that move the story, that's the cornerstone of the story 
of Ezra. Today we looked at the first story, uh, the first letter. The letter writing takes a very prominent role in the book of Ezra because the Jews during Ezra's time were living under the Persian Empire. One of the legacies of the Persian Empire for us today is the modern, what is often called the modern day postal system. During the time of King Darius, uh, one of the Persian kings, the Persians built what is called the Royal Road. The Royal Road uh, is a very lengthy road that uh, begins at the, in the city of Sardis into, right into Persia, uh, into Persia's capital, Susa. And this very long stretch of road called the Royal Road is about 1,500 miles long. It's one of the longest roads at the, in the ancient world. It's built by the Persians. The Royal Road itself has 80 stations. Then the, one of the main purpose of the Royal Roads is to deliver the letters of the king. So what would happen is that there will be a one-horse uh, mail carrier that will run from one station unto the next station and then they will have a new horse with new vigor and energy that will run to another station and will continue on through all the 80 stations all the way from Sardis into the Persian capital Susa. This royal mail system was so that the king could get his edicts and his letters being mailed quickly to all the satraps across his empire. He could get his word out, he could get his letters out as quickly as possible. However, the Persian mail system is not for everyday folk like you and me. It's only used by the king and his satraps to get the king's orders uh, to the other governors very quickly and to get the governors to contact the king very quickly. The, oh, the idea of ordinary people using mail did not start until this, uh, the 17th century in England. So this was mostly just for the royal people. So Ezra is situated in a very different time uh, than the rest of the Old Testament. Letter writing becomes very important and becomes very important in the book of Ezra. And the book of Ezra hinges upon letters, uh, written communication, seven of them in the book of Ezra. So what does God have to say to the Jews? In this new era of communication under the superpower of the Persians. And what does God have to say to us today, living in a new era of communication, of apps, of Instagrams, of Facebook, of Twitter? What does God have to say? I think there are two lessons we can learn out of these verses that we have just read in the book of Ezra, from Ezra chapter 1 verses 1 to 4. In these first four verses of chapter 1 of Ezra, we can learn two lessons. What God is teaching us in this new era of communication. Number one, God's goodness never changes with the times. God's goodness never changes with the times. While Ezra was writing, many of the Jews were in Babylon. They were in exile. The exile came about because God's people were rebellious against God. And God used the Babylonians to destroy the land of his people, burn down the temple, and large populations of the Jews were being brought to Babylon to stay there. All of this was prophesied by the prophet Jeremiah. 
but the exile did not last forever. Rather, the prophet Jeremiah says that one day God will bring back his people into the land of Israel again. And here we see Jeremiah's words being fulfilled. We read here in Ezra chapter 1 verse 1. And the first year of Cyrus, king of Persia, in order to fulfill the word of the Lord spoken by Jeremiah, the Lord moved the heart of Cyrus, king of Persia, to make a proclamation throughout his reign and also to put it in writing. Here God is moving, uh, working through King Cyrus by moving his heart to write an edict, an, an official letter, an edict is an official letter, to bring the Jews home. So this is the first time, the first letter that we will encounter in the book of Ezra. And this has been prophesied by Jeremiah that the exile is coming to an end, that the 70 years of exile here is coming to an end. And there is another reason why Ezra begins his book with the prophet Jeremiah. Jeremiah, like Cyrus, had, uh, was known for his written communication too. You see, the prophet Jeremiah served under five uh, Judean kings. One of them was by the name of Jehoiakim who really hated Jeremiah. And as far as we know, Jehoiakim, the Judean king, and Jeremiah never met. They were always playing cat and mouse chase. If Jehoiakim had ever met Jeremiah, he would have impaled the prophet. And so the prophet Jeremiah never really uh, met the king. So how did Jeremiah communicate with Jehoiakim? By writing, by letters too. So he sent uh, uh, the king letters. And, and in one time in Jeremiah 26, he, he sent a letter to the king asking him to repent. But did the king actually listen? King Jehoiakim, what did he do? He got mad at the prophet Jeremiah. So he cut up the scrolls of Jeremiah and then threw them into the fire. So here was a pagan king here was a Jewish king that was unwilling to listen to Jeremiah's letters. But the irony of it is that when Ezra begins, he begins with a pagan king who was willing to listen to Jeremiah. To allow the Jews to return home. And he was so willing that he was able to even put this good news in writing just like Jeremiah did all those years. He was a pagan king who was willing to obey the prophecy of Jeremiah. But nevertheless, we shouldn't be naive to actually think that King Cyrus was actually a God-fearer and a believer in Yahweh. It's very likely that King Cyrus was just allowing the Jews to return home because of political reasons. You see, the Persians, the Persians were very diplomatic. They felt that in order to get a stronger and a much uh, bigger empire, they shouldn't ill-treat the people that they were ruling over. So what the Persians king decided to do is to send all of them home, build their own temples, live their own culture, live your own lives. As long as you're loyal, you pay taxes to Persia, that's fine. Do whatever you want and you can have your own gods, you can have your own temple, ask your gods to pray for Persia and, and we will have all the gods on our side and Persia will be a much stronger, stronger nation because of this diplomacy. 
And we know about this because if you go to the British Museum today, you will find what is called the Cyrus Cylinder, which is a clay cylinder that actually tells of the Persian, one of the Persians' king, who actually honored the god Marduk, the very same way that he is honoring God here in the book of Ezra and commanding the Babylonians to continue to worship and to honor Marduk. So very much, very well, what Cyrus is doing here is for political reasons. But nevertheless, God was still working in the heart of Cyrus to obey Jeremiah's prophecy, allowing them to come back and to set all of this in writing. Why? Because God is good. God is still good even when Israel had no king on his throne. God is still good even when Israel was under the reign and the, and the regime of the Persians. God is still good even when there was no prophet amongst them. Because God is still good and still works through the book, the, the prophet, uh, uh, the King Cyrus. What does this have to say to us? God is still good, even in today's world of apps, of Instagrams, and Twitter. During the 1990s, there was a little boy who fell into a, contain, uh, a containment of a zoo. And the containment of the zoo was Benji. Benji was a huge gorilla. When the boy fell into the containment, he was unconscious. And the people around in the zoo saw this happening before their eyes. They saw this three-year-old boy drop into the containment of Benji, the huge gorilla. God knows what Benji would do to this little boy. So the people looking at the scene were just horrified. They wished that Benji had not seen this boy. But Benji did see this boy. And to the horror of the onlookers, Benji walked across to the boy. Benji could have easily broken the boy um, by picking him up, but he didn't. In fact, he carried the boy gently and brought him to the entrance of the containment so that the zookeepers can bring the boy back to safety. The news of Benji grew viral. But let me ask you, do you think that on the next day, parents would bring their three-year-old boys and drop them in Benji's containers? Do you think parents would do that? No. Why? Benji may be good with this boy on this day, but will he be good all the time? Will he be good all the time? He may not be good the next day and could easily broken the boy into two. That's how we feel about God sometimes. Yes, God may be good to Moses. Yes, God may be good during Peter's time and allowed Peter to walk on water. Yes, God may be good during the book of Acts and provided for the church. But will God do it now for me? Is God like Banji? He may be good 100 years ago, 200 years ago, 1,000 years ago. But is he still good today? And many times we treat God as an animal. We treat God like Banji. Oh, he's only sporadically good. You can't really count on him. 
He may be good yesterday. He may be good last week. He may be good 40 years ago when I got saved. But he's not. I don't really know if he's good for me now. Is he still good? Don't treat God as banshee. God is not a gorilla that changes his mind or doesn't have a, a stable mind. Don't treat God as an animal. He is good all the time. He was good during Moses' time. He was good during David's time. He was good even during Ezra's time when they were living under the Persians without a king and without a temple and without a land of their own. God is still good. God is still good now in our world of Instagrams and apps and Twitter. That's the first thing God wants to speak to us. Number two, God is never without His witness in any age. God is, with, is not without His witness in any age. In the book of Ezra, there was no king in Israel anymore. The last king, Zechariah, had his son slaughtered in front of him and his eyes gouged out before he was uh, sent into slavery. But the nation, and you may say, so what? No, no, no king, so what? But the nation Aries, if you, if a nation doesn't have a king, do you know that the nation is doomed? Why do I say that? In the ancient Aries, only a king can initiate the building of a temple. Nobody can build a temple unless it's being started by the king. And if you do not have a king, that means you do not have a temple. And if you don't have a temple, what does it mean? Your sins cannot be atoned for. You will be damned in shame and sin eternal. Israel runs into a very, very precarious situation in Nazareth. We don't know it. But if, if you really understand the context of what's going on here, the book of Ezra begins with a scary note. Because here God's people could be damned for all eternity. There was no more king. Who will start the building of a temple? But to human beings, what's impossible is not impossible to God. The miracle of Ezra is not the parting of the Red Sea, not lepers getting healed. It's the very fact that God can still build a temple without an Israelite king. How does God do that? How would God, in His brilliance and wisdom, build a temple without a king? In the ancient world, that's just a no, 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 impossible situation. It's just not possible. But for God, it is possible. What is the miracle? God moved the heart of another king, a pagan king who cares nothing about God, King Cyrus to build God's temple. To Cyrus, the edict may be just a savvy political move. By the eyes of God, God was initiating the king, the Persian king, to build his temple for his people. Let's look at verse 2 in Ezra chapter 1. This is what Cyrus, king of Persia, says. The Lord, the God of heaven, has given me all the kingdoms of the earth, and He has appointed me to build a temple for Him at Jerusalem in Judah. 
any of his people among you may go back, go up to Jerusalem in Judah and build the temple of the Lord, the God of Israel, the God who is in Jerusalem, and may that God be with them. This has always been God's vision for his temple when Solomon first built his temple. God did not just only move Cyrus, but he moved Cyrus to build a temple for his name. Without the temple, God's people will be doomed. And here God uses Cyrus to build the temple. But Cyrus not only commanded the people to build God's temple, notice in verse 3, he wants the people, he wants all the people to return. Any of his people among you may go build the temple. So he's not just including the Jews, but anybody who wants to go can go. And what does he want them to do? To go back, not just to build this empty building, but he actually wants the people to worship God. Verse 3, so that all of the people among you may go up to Jerusalem in Judah. The phrase to go up uh, in Hebrew uh, reminds us of Exodus chapter 23 verse 17, which is that every year, every male in Israel have to go up. To, to Jerusalem to worship God in the three festivals. And so the same words has been used, the same words are being used here. That the people are not only just to go build this building, but they're to go up to Jerusalem to worship God. The temple was not just a construction for construction's sake, it's an invitation to go, not just to build, but to worship. Why? Because God still wants to connect with us in every age. Moreover, Cyrus even blesses his people, just like a priest would give a benediction to his congregation. He prays in verse 3 that their God will be with them. To many of us, it's just words. But if you know the book of Chronicles, you will realize that these are very specific words that God uses to describe God's sovereignty over David. David was successful in the book of Chronicles because the Lord was, God was with him. And here the same promise is being given to anyone who will return back to Jerusalem to worship, that God will be with him. So what am I saying here? Cyrus not only was moved to build a temple, but Cyrus was moved even to call the people of every nation to go back to Jerusalem to worship God, that God may bless them the way God blessed David. Many of these words of Cyrus may be just for political savviness. And Cyrus could have, could have said this to any other nation besides Israel. But behind the savviness, I think it's God moving. Because even in the most dire situations, God is not without his witness. God can still use a pagan king like Cyrus. What does this mean for us? In every age, God will raise his witnesses, even where there seems to be no one. While there may be no king in Judah who longed for worship, God uses a foreign king to call his people back to worship. And this miracle of God raising his witnesses not only in the heart of the book of Ezra, but also in the heart of our church today. So what does this mean for us in this digital age? 
first don't be an online hedonist where you only tweet about your favorite food where you only post your favorite video game whereby you only talk online about your favorite restaurant where you only post pictures of your vacations don't be a hedonist online be a witness for God online if God even can even use a pagan king to be his witness what about us be a witness for God online don't just write about uh, don't just blog about food and games and travel blogged about God's goodness encourage a person online use your Twitter to spread the gospel use your Instagram to show that you are a disciple of Jesus use your WeChat and your WhatsApp to minister to those who are lonely and hiding behind an app secondly what does this mean for us don't get sucked in only by the social media that you become blind to the people around you this happens a lot to our younger people of this generation if you go on the train today what happens people don't talk to each other anymore everybody's always looking down on the phone we lose the call to be God's witnesses to people these days because of our phones. We're too fixated on our phones that we forget to notice the hurting person behind us. Or the kid who sits himself looking at his phone all by himself lonely at lunch. Or the person who comes to church by himself and goes home by himself that we fail to notice. Be God's witnesses of the gospel, of His gospel of love to those around us. This world of Instagram and social media shouldn't take us away from our calling to be witnesses of the people around us. Because no social media can ever replace the presence of a human being by our side, especially in times of difficulties. On June 30, 1967, Johnny Erickson Tada was just a teenager. And she shoved into a bay, as many of you know the story, misjudged the depth of the water, broke her neck, and she became paralyzed from shoulder downwards. Well, Johnny was uh, recuperating in the hospital. She was sharing a, a room with uh, five other female patients. Late that night, while she was recuperating the hospital after the stroke, she felt like crying. To her, her future looked dark, her future looked hopeless and bleak. And just when she was about to cry, she realized that she couldn't move her hands. So she couldn't cry because if she cried, she would make a mess out of herself and no one would be there to clean up her mess. So she fought back her tears. And as she was sad and lonely in her bed, feeling like she wanted to die, she suddenly saw something move, like a shadow moving. And she suddenly saw uh, her friend Jackie, Johnny's best friend, standing at the doorway of the room. You see, Jackie came to the hospital that night, 
well more like a two o'clock in the morning, past visiting hours. And the nurses were on the break, and she was in the hallway, and she crept up to the steps of the hospital, snuck her way in, crept into the sixth room, the ward, uh, six people ward, and Jackie snuck. Uh, into the room, crawling on her hands and feet, and she came to Johnny's bedside, stood up slowly, and started lowering the guardrail of the hospital bed. And just like high schoolers would do during pajama sleepovers, Jackie climbed into bed with Johnny, and both girls snuggled together close, and uh, Jackie took up Johnny's hands and wave it in the air. Johnny, who was paralyzed, could not even feel the hands waving in the air. And slowly they sang. Man of sorrows, what a name. They sang and they worshipped. And they sang and they worshipped. They sang and they worshipped. The two girls just laid dead in, the, in the, the hospital bed. And they sang, and they worshipped. And there was nothing more comforting, more joyous, than to sing about the man of sorrows, Jesus Christ, who became for, Jenny, uh, for Johnny the saviour of joy in those moments. Because what Johnny wanted deep in her heart, when she was all alone in the hospital, was not just another lecture on theodicy and on suffering, was not just another sermon, but she wanted a friend just to be beside her, lifting up her paralyzed arm and singing together, Man of sorrows, what a name! And they worship, and they worship. That's what God calls us to do, to be His witnesses, even in this digital age. Father, we come before you this morning and we thank you for this message in the book of Ezra. Father, we thank you that you have brought Ezra to this time whereby there was a new form of communication just like our times today. But yet you have not changed. You're still the faithful God who is with His people. But Father, at times we doubt You. We do not believe that You are good now. Yes, we know that You may be good last week. You may be good 30 years ago. But we doubt You. We think of You more like a gorilla than a loving Father. Forgive us, Lord God. We thank You that You are good all the time. But your goodness compels us to bring this good news of the gospel of Jesus Christ to those who are hurting. Forgive us, Lord God, when we are so fixated with our own tiny walls, when we would rather spend time serving the net and spending so much time on social media than to actually reach out to somebody with love. To hold the hands of those who are hurting, Lift it high, lift them high, and worship together. Man of sorrows, who are the name, and worshiped you. Father, we need that brotherly love. 
We need the sisterly love. We need to be people changed and living the gospel in our lives. So Father Lord Jesus Christ, I pray even at these moments that you will break our hearts down. That we will be so moved by you to be your witnesses. You can use even a Persian pagan king. You can use us, Lord. Father, here I am. Send.